0: Alright, so we're going to continue our series on prayer this morning and we're going to be in the book of Nehemiah. So if you'll turn to the Old Testament book of Nehemiah, I believe one of the greatest ways you and I can grow deeper in our understanding on the subject of prayer is to study the prayers of the Bible. And especially what I call the significant prayers of the Bible. And we come to another one here in the first chapter of Nehemiah. Uh, Nehemiah, you can find it by just finding some of the bigger books of the Old Testament like Job and Psalms and just taking a few books left and then going into Esther and then you'll find Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 1. We're going to begin here in chapter 1 in verse 1, where Nehemiah hears of Jerusalem's condition. And what we have learned through this subject of prayer is that there's always things driving our prayer life, motivating us to pray, reasons why we're praying, what we're praying, and all of that. We might not think about that much. We might not be conscious of that, but that's always the case. Prayers never stand sort of independent of themselves. There's always something surrounding us praying or not praying, for that matter. And so we're learning a lot about prayer even through viewing it in its context. Seeing what is surrounding these prayers of these people and what is driving them and motivating them to pray. And the same thing is happening here In Nehemiah chapter 1, where Nehemiah hears of Jerusalem's condition. By the way, the name Nehemiah means God comforts. And I hope today that if you've come here today and you're in search of or in need of being comforted by God, because no one can comfort better than God, that you will receive God's comfort because the Bible teaches that God is the God of all comfort. And what the word really means is that God wants to come alongside of you in your life right now. And he wants to encourage you and strengthen you. It's as if you had that friend that came alongside of you and just put their arm around you and said, you know, let's pray or let's talk or let me listen or, you know, let me encourage you. That's what God wants to do in your life. And that's what Nehemiah's name meant God comforts. So it says, these are the words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. It happened that in the month of Kislev, in a 20th year, I was in Susa, the citadel. Hananiah, who was one of my relatives, along with some of the men from Judah, came to me. And I asked them about the Jews who had escaped and had survived the exile and about Jerusalem. Now, a couple of things here. Notice that personally, Nehemiah is living in the land of cushiness. He is a high-ranking official in the kingdom of Persia. He is living in the capital city, Susa, in the fortified palace, the citadel of the Persian king, who at this time was pretty much the ruler of the world. They were the most powerful nation at that time. And so he had it good. I mean, looking at it just from a personal perspective, it's like, wow, could I have it any better? I got a basically a great job, great position. I got everything that I want or whatever need. Uh, I'm living in a palace. But notice something. Even though Nehemiah's body was in Persia, his heart and his interests were on the things of God. And they were on others, not on himself. This is one of the reasons why we know that Nehemiah was a, an individual of prayer. Because one of the things that God will do through our prayer life is help us not to be so self-focused. Only focused on ourselves, and especially when things are going well, and our own comfort in man... Our life is blessed and and we just got it good. No, God will use our time with Him to make our heart like His. To be selfless. And and to be thinking of others more than we even are concerned about ourselves. And we'll build into our lives compassion and empathy and sympathy. And God not only does that through prayer. Our prayer life, He does that through our connection in the Word as well. This is why it's so important that we as believers of Jesus Christ develop those disciplines in our life of prayer and time in the Word every day. Because it is through that that God shapes our hearts and aligns our hearts with His. That's one of the things we've learned about our prayer life is that it's not so much about changing our circumstances and the things around us as much as it is God changing us. And you have this taking place here. Where one of his relatives and a couple other people come from the city of Jerusalem and he doesn't wait for them to inform him about what's going on and maybe they wouldn't have even said anything. Maybe they said, you know, Nehemiah's got it pretty good here. We're not going to bring it up. But Nehemiah is the one that brought it up. Nehemiah is the one that inquired. He's the one that sought this information. And it probably was because through his time with God, again, God was making him sensitive to what was going on thousands of miles away. And things were not good back in Jerusalem. Where is your heart today? Where is my heart? Our body may be here. Where's our heart? And the Bible says where our heart is, that's where our treasure will be. That's where our interest will be. That's where our concern will be. That's where our focus will be. That's why God says, I want your heart. Because if God has our heart, then everything else will fall into place. Does God have our heart today? And where is our heart? Our body can be somewhere. But our heart can be somewhere else. And that was certainly true of Nehemiah. So they said, they give him the information he's looking for. How are things back in Jerusalem? They said to me, verse 3, The remnant that remains from the exile there in the province are experiencing considerable adversity. The word means distress and misery and pain. And then it goes on to say and reproach, which is a way again of just saying they're experiencing shame and disgrace. I mean, these are to be the people of God. And yet the condition of their city is disgraceful. The, the, the way they are living and the conditions in which they're living is just shameful. And they go on to tell him, oh, and by the way, the wall of Jerusalem lies breached and its gates have been burned down. And this is not a recent thing. If you study the history of Jerusalem and Israel, you know, it's sort of been that way for over a hundred years. That's a long time to be in a bad condition. And let's not forget that especially in ancient times, something we're not sensitive to today, for any city not to have any walls around it meant that the city had no protection, the city had no defense against enemies, therefore the city lay vulnerable, very vulnerable. Which also then meant that there could be nothing of value kept within the city. They couldn't keep anything of value there because it would be so easy for someone to come in and basically pillage and ransack and take whatever was valuable out of the city. So nothing really valuable was ever built. That's why the temple had not been rebuilt. Nothing could be done until the walls were first put up to ensure them some kind of defense and protection against their enemies. So when he hears that the walls are still down, he understands what that really means. That doesn't just mean the walls are down. It means that the entire city that lies within those walls or that would lie within those walls have nothing really of any value or worth in them other than the people themselves. Because they have no way of protecting it. And so Nehemiah hears of Jerusalem's condition. But notice, beginning in verse 4, how Nehemiah reacts to the news about Jerusalem and its people. This says a lot about Nehemiah. And it says a lot about us when we hear certain news of how we respond and we react to it. He says, when I heard these things, I sat down abruptly, crying and mourning for several days. I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. When was the last time, as a follower of Jesus Christ, we heard something and it brought us to our knees in mourning, in crying, even in being willing to fast and pray over something? That was Nehemiah. See, God was going to do a work through Nehemiah. But before God did a work through Nehemiah, God needed to do a work in Nehemiah. In fact, any great work that God ever does and any work that God does through us, Before He does something through us, He always, always, always does something in us first. So many Christians today want to focus on, God, I I want you to do something through me. But God is more interested in doing something in us. Because it's only as we allow God to do a work in us will we clearly be able to see what God wants to do through us. So let me ask you a question today. What work is God doing in you right now? What is God stirring you about? What is God directing your focus to? What's God laying on your heart that that is in a sense of a burden, a passion, a burning? Something that you are, are really just fired up about. Is there anything? There should be. If we're allowing God to do something in us, then we should be maneuvering, if you will, to the same place that Nehemiah does. Where there's something in us that God is doing, and he's laying something on our hearts because he wants us to be the one that he does something through. He's not looking at somebody else right now. He's looking at us. And so before he works through us, he needs to work in us and create that fire and that passion and that burden and that concern and that care for something. Because he's going to use that fire, if you will, within us to get it done. And and it's that fire within us and that passion that's going to sustain us and endure us through probably the challenges ahead, just as it did Nehemiah. Because we know sort of how the story ends. I'm going to get to this in just a minute. But to jump ahead, God wants Nehemiah to spearhead the effort to go back to Jerusalem. Rally the troops. Basically, get people in Jerusalem together and say, guys, it's, it's, we're done living like this. We have got to rise up as one and we've got to get these walls built first. And the Bible tells us in the book of Nehemiah, they rebuilt the wall in 52 days. Because God wanted to use Nehemiah to galvanize and rally these people to do what hadn't been done for hundreds of years. And then once the walls were up, then they'd begin to work on God's temple and things of value and worth within the city. You see. But before God does any work through us, He's always working in us. And each one of us, especially through our prayer life and our time in God's Word, should be allowing God to do in us what was happening with Nehemiah. There was, yeah, there was emotion there, but it wasn't just emotion for emotion's sake, He was moved. And he was going to be a man moved enough to do something about it. He was going to be moved to action, as we're going to see as well. And also notice, here at the end of when it says he fasted and prayed to the God of heaven, Nehemiah had a clear understanding of whom he fasted and prayed to. He was the exalted, high, lifted up God. And he knew who he was fasting and praying to. We need to be reminded of who God is and maintain that high and lofty view of who God is. And, and really even being encouraged that the God who is above everything else wants to use us, wants to work through us. He doesn't have to, but that's always been his plan. The great and perfect God wants to work through fragile, imperfect people. And all God asks is our availability. He doesn't ask us for certain abilities. He doesn't ask us for certain aptitudes. What he asks of us is simply to make ourselves available, to surrender and put ourselves in his hands and he'll do the rest. Because every great servant of God always balked at the fact that they weren't adequate enough or there was some deficiency or something lacking. They're just like us or we're just like them. You think about God coming to Moses. And we all think now, oh, Moses, great Bible character. He's up on a pedestal with most Christians. And yet, was it not Moses who kept arguing with God? God, I'm not the guy. Get somebody else. I can't do this. I can't do that. And what God tried to teach Moses and through Moses teach us is Moses. It's not about you. It's about you just placing your life in my hands and I'll make you the leader that you need to be. I'll give you the resources you need to lead my people out of Egypt. You just make yourself available. You let me Moses do a work in you and I'll work through you. Abraham, you let me do a work in you. I'll work through you. Esther, you let me work in you and I'll work through you. That's what God wants to do with each of us today. If he's not doing a work in you up to this point, he wants to. And maybe that work begins today as we see what was happening here with Nehemiah. So notice then. Nehemiah, beginning in verse 5, comes to God, but he comes to him in great humility. He says, please, O Lord God of heaven, great and awesome God who keeps his loving covenant with those who love him and obey his commandments. May your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer of your servant that I am praying to you today throughout both day and night on behalf of your servants, the Israelites. Notice, first of all, in verse 5, humility begins by simply understanding that there's a God enthroned in heaven and you and I are not him. We talked about this a little bit on Tuesday at Bible study and then even last Sunday. It's one of the basics of theology. God is God and the rest of us aren't. And yet that's important to remember because that means that when I'm talking to God and I'm appealing to God that I can go to no one greater or higher. In fact, notice he addresses God as great and awesome. He's reminding himself about the majesty of God. And he's reminding himself that God, even though I'm talking to you, I'm also at this very moment standing in awe of you. Because you're amazing. You're awesome. I know I'm asking a lot of questions here today, but I think it's good that we ask ourselves questions even as we study and go through the Word of God. And so, a question God had for me as I was reading and studying was, Jeff, when was the last time you just took time to stand in awe of me? If we're followers of this God, and we believe he is who he has revealed himself to be, that he is great and awesome. When was the last time you and I came before him and, and just stood in awe? Or we saw, you know, a sunset or a sunrise or something in creation that God has done and we just went, wow, God. Well, guess what? At the end of the service, when we wrap things up, before we're dismissed and go over to potluck this morning, I'm going to tell you another story this last week that happened to us. And some of you don't even know about it yet, but you're going to know about it. And it's going to be a story that we as a church will tell our church family for the rest of the history of this church. And it's a wow, God. You, you did more than I could have ever imagined or dreamed. You had, you had a moment like that lately? Where God just did something or worked in a way and you just, you really maybe didn't even have any words to articulate it. You, you didn't have any, any, any way of expressing it, if you will, but you're just like, Speechless. And even though Nehemiah is expressing himself here in words, I'm sure even these words fall very short of what he was really feeling when he comes before the Lord God of heaven and says, God, you are great and you are awesome. And that's where humility starts. By acknowledging and recognizing who God really is. It's not about looking at ourselves and Such a lowly place. It's more about acknowledging who God is in his rightful place. And then notice also that humility also understands our complete dependence on God. In a sense, he's saying in verse 6, God, only you can help. And God, I'm convinced that if you only hear, you will help. So please be attentive. And listen bow down, observe. I've been in places like that a lot where I'm just like, God, I got nothing. I know everybody else in my life's got nothing. God, if you don't show up, I don't know, but you're the only one, God. You're the only one that can help in this situation. You're the only answer, God. And so I'm looking to you. That was Nehemiah. That we would have that kind of humility to to literally live every day in complete dependence and reliance upon God. And know how dependent and reliant we are and should be on Him at all times. Usually, sadly, even for Christians, the only time that really comes into focus is when we're going through something really big. Some big crisis comes into our life and all of a sudden it's like, God, I need you. I'm running back to you, God, because I've sort of left you for a while because I, I could handle things on my own. But now that, God, things have gotten so big that I can't handle it, now I'm coming back to you, God, can you, can you help? And God will, because God's a gracious God. And unfortunately, or I should say fortunately, unlike us, God doesn't let his feelings get hurt and pout to the point It's like, no, I'm not helping you. You've neglected me and you haven't treated me right, so there. Thank you, God, for not being like we are. And then notice something else very important here. The closer you and I get to God, the more we will see our own sinfulness. Can I tell you, that's one of the reasons why Christians down through history don't really, for many of them, have a burning desire to get closer to God. Because in getting closer to God, they're going to see themselves for what they really are and they don't want to. And to be honest, they really don't want to fix the things that need to be fixed and change the things that need to be changed because the only way that happens is by drawing closer to God and really being able to see things as they really are. Too often, even as followers of Jesus Christ or those who profess to be followers of Jesus Christ, we like the misery we in, or We're at least choosing the misery and pain we're in over the deliverance that God could bring. And so, God, I'm going to stay my distance. Because I don't really want to face what I should face, or need or need, and I don't really want to see myself for what I really am. Because then that means i got to deal with things, and I don't want to deal with them. I'm just going to leave them alone. Notice Nehemiah, though. He says, I am confessing the sins of the Israelites that we have committed against you. Both I, myself, and my family have sinned. We have behaved corruptly against you, not obeying the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments that you commanded your servant Moses. And notice something. Nehemiah doesn't say, well, God, I got my life down and the rest of them, they're crumb balls. I'm confessing their sins, but I'm good. No. See, when we get closer to God, we understand we're in as much need as anybody. And we also understand through getting closer to God that God has us as part of something bigger than ourselves. And God does us have have us in community whether we like it or believe in it or not. And that we're all in this together. And that we can't say, well, you know, that dirty rotten scoundrel over there, they got their problems, but I'm okay. No. When we get closer to God, we understand all of our need. And the fact that I'm just as much in need as you are. And that all of us are in need of the mercy and grace of God. And we begin to see ourselves for just who we really are before a holy God that we just sung several songs about. And the reason why that's important is because if we're going to become more like Jesus Christ, if we're going to begin to be willing to take care of the things in our lives that need to be taken care of and change, the only way that's going to happen, folks, is by us drawing closer to God and, yes, revealing things that maybe we don't like and make us uncomfortable and convict us, but that's the only way change comes about. It's not by pretending everything's okay and everything looks good when it's really not. And So we see that happening here through prayer. But then notice this. Beginning in verse 8, Nehemiah comes to God also looking to God's promises. He says, please recall the word you commanded your servant Moses. If you acted unfaithfully, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you repent and obey my commands and do them, then even if your dispersed people are in the most remote location, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen for my name to reside. They are your servants and your people whom you've redeemed by your mighty strength and by your powerful hand. I want to direct your attention back to verse 8, where Nehemiah says, God, remember, recall your promises. This is one of the most powerful and effective ways to come to God by asking him to remember his promises. It's one of the best things we can do in our prayer life is to pray the promises of God. If you're looking for a way to maybe change up your prayer life or enhance your prayer life or do something that you hadn't thought of before, I would encourage you to do that. As you go through the word of God and you see his promises, Take the time in your prayer life to remind God of those promises. God, you said, this is what you do. You promised this, God. That's a very powerful and effective way to come to God. And that's exactly what Nehemiah was doing. God doesn't mind being reminded of the things he's promised. You know why? Because God has nothing to to feel bad about. Because God always is true to his promises. God always comes through on his promises. God's always reliable and dependable. God always does what he says he will do. Now, obviously, some of the promises in the Bible are unconditional. In other words, God says, it doesn't matter what you do, this is what I'm going to do. And when you and I read and study the word of God, we've got to learn to differentiate between the unconditional promises of God and the conditional promises of God like Nehemiah is quoting here. Because notice, Nehemiah is quoting a conditional promise. Where God says to God's people, if you do this, then I will do this. And many times I even hear Christians today misquoting, misinterpreting, misapplying the word of God. Because they're disillusioned in their Christian life of why God isn't somehow being reliable to a promise. But they're interpreting that promise that they're using as an unconditional promise. And I'm going, no, I think if you look at that, it's a conditional promise. In other words, God is saying to you, if you do this, then I'll do this. So we've got to make sure that we're, again, handling the word of God correctly. But they're both. And both are very powerful and effective ways to come to God. Reminding God of the things that he has promised. And then we get to verse 11, where Nehemiah prays with the heart, ready to do something. And this is really where this whole prayer and this whole chapter obviously comes to a very fitting and powerful climax. Notice the words of Nehemiah to the Lord. Please, O Lord, listen attentively to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who take pleasure in showing respect to your name. Grant your servant success today and show compassion to me in the presence of this man. Now I was the cupbearer for the king. Notice what's happened here and what's happening here. And it's what God wants to do in our prayer life. He wants to maneuver us physically, emotionally, and spiritually to a place where we are ready and willing to do something. See, prayer is not a passive activity, as many Christians think. Well, I'm not really doing anything, I'm just praying. When we understand prayer, we understand that, oh no, you're doing a lot. Because it's through our time with God in prayer that God will align our hearts and change our hearts and mold our hearts to be more like His. And it will be during those times of prayer where God is maneuvering us and doing a work in us before He does a work through us. And again, getting us in place physically, emotionally, and spiritually to a place like Nehemiah where when He prays, he doesn't pray this. God, make it all better. That's not his prayer, is it? God, will you just make that those poor people over there in Jerusalem and make that situation all better? That's the way many of us as Christians pray, don't we? We hear of something, we, we hear of a need, some something going on, and, and, and God, make that all better. That's not Nehemiah's prayer. Notice something else that you don't see in Nehemiah's prayer. He's not saying here, God, will you get somebody else moving on this? Again, that's the way many times we pray. God, will you lay it on somebody else's heart to do this? No. That's not his prayer either. Instead, his prayer is, God, Use me to make the situation better. And notice something. He's reminding us of this strategic position that he had in the kingdom of Persia. And through his time with God in prayer, he understands that this opportunity, this position, uh, This privilege that he has of being the cupbearer to the king of Persia didn't come by accident, but by the providence of God. And that God didn't have him in this place for no good reason. He understood then, oh, God wants to use me to make the situation better. So God, I make myself available. As I go into the king of Persia today, Give me the words because I, I, I get the feeling and I get, I get your leading that you want to use me to maybe be the agent and instrument of change back in Jerusalem. That's why you put me here, you see. God used me to make the situation better. Think of Nehemiah's prayer and Nehemiah in this way. When Nehemiah prayed to God, he had come to a place in his life where he was always willing and ready to maybe be the answer to his prayers. And God wants to get all of us to that place in our life where instead of just praying, God, you make this situation better. Or God, get someone else moving on this. This needs to to be different. And how many of us as Christians have not at times sat back as what we call the Monday morning quarterback or just that, that, that group of critical Christians who sees the things that need to be changed and the things that could be better And somehow we just, we like lobbing our critical thoughts towards those that are in ministry and those that are doing it. But never give any thought to maybe, maybe God wants to use me to make it better. And I've even seen that over five years of history here at the Oasis. There are people that come in here and they don't like this ministry or that ministry or the way this is done or that's done. But they never give any thought to maybe God wants me to jump in and be the part of the solution rather than just part of the critical people that sit back and criticize. And that was Nehemiah. Nehemiah says, You know what, God? Instead of bemoaning what's happened in Jerusalem and I could sit there all day and be probably justified in saying, well, those lazy people over there in Jerusalem, they've been over a hundred years with those walls broken down. They deserve to stay like that. Why am I going to leave this cushy palace and everything in Persia and even think about going back there? But see, those were the things that changed in Nehemiah's heart when he spent time with God in prayer. And this is why the Bible and why God said Nehemiah was a great example for us. Because Nehemiah understood. God, I get it now. I understand why I'm the king's cupbearer. Because you want to use me to have a conversation with the king. I got the ear of the king. I got, I got leverage in this relationship. He trusts me. Most historians who aren't even biblical historians believe that this office of cupbearer was actually the second most powerful position in the kingdom. In other words, to try to equate it to America, which is poor sometimes in translation, it would be like Nehemiah was actually the vice president. He was just that important. So let me ask another question. As we wrap this up this morning. And I realize. Some of you here today. I don't really know what God wants to do through me. That's fine. Hey, it's okay. We all all start there. But here's what I'd like to encourage you with. You may not know what God wants to do through you yet. So just begin to let God work in you first. Because if you and I. Let God work in us. Then over time. We will see what God wants to do clearly through us. Don't get it backwards. Don't keep trying to cut through the fog of what God wants to do through you if you're not willing to let God first work in you as he did in Nehemiah. But when God does work in us, then like Nehemiah, we'll start to see, oh God, I... I now see why I have that relationship in my life. I see why I have that person's ear. I see why you gave me that position, God, and why you gave me that job and why you put me in this neighborhood and why now I I know that person and I know that person. Now I begin to see it, God. This is what you want me to do. And that's what God wants each of us to begin to discover in our own lives. Why right now? Are you at the job you're at? Why are you living in the neighborhood you're living in? Why do you have the relationships that you have? Why are you close to this person? Why do you have this relationship? And when we begin to let God work in us, then we can start to see clearly why God, what God wants to do through us as we understand more clearly why we are in the places we are in with the people we are in it with and in have the relationships that we do in our life, just like Nehemiah. See, there's such clarity to our lives whenever we pray and let God work in us. Will you be willing to let God work in you today? so that God can do work through you today. And if God is already working in you, then get up and begin to do what God wants to do through you. Don't keep making excuses. Don't keep saying this and that. Yeah, all biblical characters did it, but eventually they cried uncle because they knew the only way they'd really be fulfilled and satisfied is to just make themselves available to God to do His will and no longer to live for themselves. Let's pray. As we're praying, I'm going to ask the worship team if they would come on up, get in place. So God, as we come to you in prayer right now, acknowledging, Lord, that you are holy, that you are above anything we could ever imagine, greater and more awesome and amazing than anything we could fathom. God, we thank you that even though you're so great, God, you hear our prayers. You pay attention to each of us. You are a caring and concerning God who listens attentively when your people speak to you. God, today we have seen in your word a man just like us, flesh and bone, who was willing to let you, the God of the universe, work in him so that you could work through him. God, I'm praying today for each person here at the Oasis and for those that will listen to this message over podcast or watch it on video, God, that that they would come to the same conclusion that Nehemiah did. And that is that they would be willing to come before you, God, and say, God, do a work in me so that you can work through me. Give me, God, a burden, a passion, a concern, something, God, something that that so causes a fire inside of me god that i can't rest something that stirs my heart so much god that i pray and fast over it that i even weep tears over it god move me like that god and use us then for your glory we pray in jesus name amen